This is the Sloss Sports Show on Anchor.fm, weekly episodes highlighting and breaking down the biggest stories across sports. Make sure to keep up with the latest episodes and breaking news on Twitter by following at Sloss Sports Show and keep up to date with the latest breaking news around the NFL. The official site of the show, knoble87.wixsite.com slash Report. And now, here's your host, Cole Noble. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Slaw Sports Show. I'm your host, Cole Noble, a.k.a. Slaw. And today is a day that is different than any other day of the week, because if you're listening to here on the Slaw Sports Show, you should know if you've been listening the last three or so weeks, it's a day that not only starts with an M of the day of the week, um, but it's also a very different day of the week than any days before, because today is Monday, October 18th, also known as Overreaction Monday here on the Sauce Sports Show and many other shows out there. But here on the Sauce Sports Show, we take things different, look at different angles, analyze different things. Uh, but Overreaction Monday is a big thing, um, not just in the world of sports, but overall in general. Uh, if you're overreacting about your job, overreacting about the weekend, anything that happened or coming up this week, you want to overreact about. But here on the Sauce Sports Show, each and every week, we are overreacting about what we just saw in the world of the NFL on the Sunday before and what to expect tonight on Sunday or excuse me on Monday night football uh, what to expect to see on Monday night football as well so we'll preview that but first we got some overreactions to get to from what we saw in Sunday of week six of the NFL season that's right we're already a third of the week after tonight's game throughout the entire regular season the NFL absolutely insane Already, you know, almost already a third of the week, a uh, third of the way through uh, the season. It goes by so quick, takes so long to come back each and every year. Uh, but one thing we knew, need to start off with, and it's the lone undefeated team in the National Football League. And they did it again this week, talking about the Arizona Cardinals, who have now improved to 6 0 on the season after defeating the Cleveland Browns. And they actually gave the Browns a little bit of a taste of their own medicine, if you will. Won that game without head coach Cliff Kingsbury and some other offensive play, uh, offensive uh, head coach or offensive assistant coaches, different assistant coaches on that unit and on that team. Um, but it's the same thing we saw from the Cleveland Browns last year in the playoffs. Um, in the first round of the playoffs, taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers, they are without head, head coach Kevin Stefanski and a couple of other assistants due to COVID nineteen positive tests. Same thing happened this week with the Arizona Cardinals. Didn't matter. How you doing? Keep it moving. 6-0 and star on the season now. They won that game heavily against the Cleveland Browns. And right now, when you look at this team in the Arizona Cardinals being, you know, the lone undefeated team in the NFL, a lot of talk right now is surrounding this Cardinals team in terms of expectations for what they have set throughout the first six weeks of the season. You look at what they've done as a team. Offensively, they've been great. Kyler Murray is looking like a real MVP caliber type of player this year and what he's been able to do running this offense. Um, but the offense as a whole has 32.3 points per game, scoring on all cylinders right now, have been playing great. Um, they did it against Tennessee, Minnesota, Jacksonville, the Rams, San Francisco, and this week against the Cleveland Browns to get the 6-0. Scoring over 32 points a game is no easy task in the NFL at all. It doesn't matter who you're playing. If you're able to do that consistently week in and week out, it's absolutely insane what this offense is really doing right now, firing on all cylinders and the cast that they're working with right now with this offense. Two great running backs that they've been able to use uh, in and out of the lineup. A lot of great receivers. 
Uh, you talk about Hopkins. You talk about A.J. Green, who's been a resurgence player this year in this Cardinals offense coming over from Cincinnati. The rookie, Rondell Moore. Christian Kirk's even getting some splashes, getting involved in here with this offense as well. And now they're going to be adding in Zach Ertz going in to next week as well, who just got traded on Thursday night, kind of Friday morning, uh, late last week, coming now over to the Arizona Cardinals as well. Offense is tremendous right now for the Arizona Cardinals. Defense is great as well. Added in J.J. Watt in the offseason, drafted Zayvon Collins, the you know, resurgence year this year of second year. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, who's been flying around that field for that defense, that linebacker. He's showcasing that speed. That's the reason they drafted him high up in the top 10 in last year's draft out of Clemson. He's playing great as well. Overall, this entire unit is playing well. 18.2 points per game on the defensive side, 32.3 points per game on the offensive side. That's tough to compete with if you are the Arizona Cardinals and what they've been able to do. Kyler Murray is playing great as well. What he's been able to do, 1,634 passing yards, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions through six games is insane. And what he's been able to do, this offense in general, I'll keep talking about it, 420.8 yards per game. I'm just throwing stats, stats at you now, showing how insane this team is. Eight rushing touchdowns by this offense. And really, I'm painting all this picture with all these stats to prove one thing. The expectations that the Cardinals have set throughout this first six games uh, makes their eyes out and set out toward February. Because at the end of the day, 6-0 start of the season, right now how this Cardinals team is playing, it's Super Bowl or bust for the Arizona Cardinals. And what they've been able to do so far against you know these teams, handling them fairly easily throughout this season, is no short task by any means. Big win, especially this week against the Cleveland Browns without their coaching staff, without their head coach, still able to get things done. And, you know, even their play calling was great. You know, their first, you know, handful of drives ended in scoring drives. You know, touchdowns and field goals going through to start out that game got up to a huge lead on the Cleveland Browns that they just could not come back to. And it's really a testament to what this team is built built out of and built from um, being able to do that without many of their coaching staff actually there. Um, so Hopkins, or excuse me, Kyler Murray in this game had another four touchdowns, unbeaten Cardinals, batter the Browns time and time again in that game. But you look at the schedule coming up for this Arizona Cardinals team, what they've got um, coming forward down the road. Um, going into week seven, the Arizona Cardinals will be taking on the Houston Texans on Sunday, uh, 4.25 p.m. kickoff Eastern Standard Time. That should really improve them up to 7-0. Haven't seen enough from the Houston Texans. It should not even be a challenge in that game. 7-0 start of the season now. How you doing? Keep it moving. Arizona Cardinals. Then comes week eight. Week eight, Thursday night football on October 28th. Green Bay Packers um, are having a game here um, at home for Arizona, a home game against Aaron Rodgers. And now the uh, 5-1 and one Green Bay Packers who have won five straight games to open their season. They got the Washington football team this week. Coming into town to take on the what could be 7-0 Arizona Cardinals. That's going to be their first big test for this Cardinals team. Yes, that it was a test against the Rams. A little bit of a test this past week against Cleveland with no coaching staff. But really in terms of an overall team of what's coming at them in terms of being a home game for Arizona, it's going to be a big test in Week 8 on Thursday Night Football against Green Bay. It's going to be a prove-it team for what this team is capable of. A prove-it game, excuse me, of what this team is capable of going forward throughout the rest of the season in terms of what they want to continue to do. Because right now, the expectations for the Arizona Cardinals is a Super Bowl or bust for this season after a 6-0 start and what they've been able to do. 
Next up, something I want to overreact about comes from last night, Sunday night football win in overtime for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in particular, I want to talk about TJ Watt in this game because TJ Watt proved last night he deserves every single penny of that contract that made him the highest paid defensive player in NFL history. And it also vaulted him up the list as to being one of the favorites to win defensive player of the year off one game alone. Last night against the Seattle Seahawks in overtime, TJ Watt had seven tackles, two sacks, three tackles for a loss, three pass deflections, and even had the game-winning force fumble in overtime to seal that game up for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was all over the field. He was a menace and a playmaker for that Steelers defense. And the big talk, the big gripe I've especially had against TJ Watt is not showing up in the big games when things matter most. Last night in primetime, Sunday night football, an overtime clash, TJ Watt showed up against Geno Smith and that uh, Seahawks banged up offense and really proved that he is worth every penny of this four-year, $112 million deal. That's $80 million guaranteed over the next three years, first three years of this contract. He played great in this game. It was a big part of the Steelers getting another win under their belt, trying to get back on track um, after you know fumbling a little bit um, after their first win against the uh, Buffalo Bills. Had a little bit of some fumble there. Messed up for about three weeks, I believe it was, and then had to bounce back here the last two weeks and get back on track. Uh, but TJ Watt on that defense earned every penny, and I think he's up there for that defensive player of the year race right now um, in terms of what teams or what players we've seen so far this season. Obviously, guys, say Trayvon Diggs is up there as well, and player we'll get to later on this episode with seven interceptions now uh, through the first six games. But at the same time, other players are on that list as well. You got to think Miles Garrett sitting up there, uh, what he's been able to do with this Cleveland Browns defense as well. But TJ Watt, I think he's now up there in terms of this race for a potential defensive player of the year award. Um, vaulted up to second in the NFL in sacks last night, up to seven now on the year through six games. Miles Garrett still paving the way with eight sacks. Um, but overall, what we've seen from TJ Watt last night proves to me that he earns his money. He earned every single penny of that contract, and it's a contract that uh, with the scale of the contract that we've never seen given to a Pittsburgh Steelers player before. But they gave it to T.J. Watt, and I think he deserves every bit of it. And it's now sitting very fine, you know, very comfortably in this defensive player of the year race. Um, a lot of people said he was kind of robbed of it last year, giving it to Aaron Donald after the big year T.J. Watt had. He's come back this year strong um, and ready to take that again uh, this season. Keeping things in this AFC North division, and we're going to be in there a lot today. Now let's go to Baltimore, because I think the league still has not figured out Lamar Jackson. Every single year, that is going to be the year that they figure out Lamar Jackson. It's what they've said since Lamar's came into the league. It's what they said he's won, since he's won the MVP award. It's what everyone said since last year, getting his first playoff win. Now they're saying it again going into this year. This is the year that the NFL figures out Lamar Jackson. I'm here to tell you, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen this year. The league has not figured out Lamar Jackson. Coming off a game where he had 500 yards and five total touchdowns last week, I believe it was, um, against the Indianapolis Colts last Monday. Um, you know, a week from today, or a week before today, um, or I guess just a week ago, um, Lamar Jackson played out of his mind in that game to win it in overtime against the Colts. This week, came back again. Um, for the uh, Ravens, went 19 for 27 passing, uh, 161 yards, one inter uh, one touchdown, two interceptions. Not as great 
passing game from Lamar Jackson, but got everything done that he needed to to win that game. He's a gritty football player, 51 yards rushing. He got it done, made the plays he needed to to come out up top in that game. And right now he's got the Ravens on a good, fast track to the season. You know, I've been pretty low on them in my power rankings, and I'll admit to that. But the Ravens are starting to bounce back and proving themselves to me why they are now a contender potentially in this division and in this conference um, in the AFC North and in the overall AFC for what um, the Baltimore Ravens have done so far. A big win uh, this week by Lamar Jackson. Um, and that one for the Baltimore Ravens taking on the LA Chargers, who were a good team coming into this game, and they still beat them 34-6 to and just straight up obliterated them in that game. Um, they just shut down the Herbert defensively, um, and that entire Chargers offense has played great. But pinpointing here on Lamar Jackson, he made the big plays in this game. Even though this game was not one of his best by far and by a statistical standpoint, he still made the plays he needed to to move the chains, to get them in the opportunities, get them into these red zone situations where they went on to score three rushing touchdowns um, inside the red zone. Big moves, big plays by Lamar Jackson. So far this season, he's got – um, 1,686 passing yards, almost 400 rushing yards this season, and 11 total touchdowns through six games. And the Ravens, like I said, off to a five and one start of the season. They scored three or scored over 30 points in three games this season. In um, terms of what they've done, Lamar Jackson's leading that way uh, for this team. And as it stands right now, no one is figuring him out. The league isn't figuring him out. Um, and Lamar Jackson started to get a little bit of respect. He's playing in some primetime games, and he is shining in those games, and that's going to end up potentially giving him some votes later on the season and some critical awards that always get given out at the NFL Honors. And, yes, I'm talking about that one he already has one of. Potentially that MVP award could come back Lamar Jackson's way if he keeps playing like this because he's getting it done. He's winning games for this Baltimore Ravens team who's been banged up, had all the injuries, nothing has gone their way, but Lamar Jackson's getting it done and getting wins and figuring out what he needs to do to win. Does he need to have five touchdowns? Does he need to have over 500 yards by himself? Or does he just need to have 160 yards passing and just be very methodical with the football and get it where it needs to be and get this offense moving in the right direction in order to score points and put points on the board to win games? That's what he's been doing. No slowing down Lamar Jackson. No figuring out Lamar Jackson for the rest of the NFL this season. And finally, the other team in the AFC North I want to discuss is the Cleveland Browns. Um, if you, you know, I mean, I'm sure for those listening, you know I'm a big Cleveland Browns supporter. I've been supporting this process of them coming back the last few years, building back into prominence um, of a battered franchise that's been battered and battered and battered uh, the last, you know, my lifetime, uh, pretty much. Now trying to get things rolling in the right direction this year, or excuse me, last year, getting into the playoffs, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers, their longtime rival, getting to the next level and end up losing that game uh, in the divisional round of the AOC playoffs. They got the playoff win. They looked like they're going to be on the right track coming into this season with Odell Beckham coming back to the team. Um, the offseason they've had bringing in key playmakers like Davion Clowney, like John Johnson at safety, uh, like Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa that they drafted at linebacker, brought in all the right pieces they needed. But so far this season, high expectations for the Browns. I had them winning, I believe, the AFC North Division this year in my preseason rankings. But right now, as it stands through six weeks, the Cleveland Browns are the biggest disappointment 
in the entire NFL. Three and three star after six games. They are now ranked fourth, dead last in the AFC North because of all the tiebreakers at stake um, in the division, the head-to-head wins. Uh, also consider uh, the divisional wins um, that are not going the right way um, for the Cleveland Browns, and it's getting worse for this team week in and week out. We all know what's happening with Baker Mayfield right now. It's shown back up again yesterday with the shoulder injury, um, grimacing on the ground, was in and out of the tent uh, at the end of that drive um, in that game against um, the Arizona Cardinals for Baker Mayfield. That shoulder injury is severe, and it's in his left shoulder, so he's putting it off till the end of the season, but that's going to bother him every single week until that thing is finally healed or until he finally has surgery on um, that shoulder at the end of the year. But at the same time, it's not just Baker Mayfield. The Browns came into this game without Nick Chubb, their star running back, and they were forced to rely on a banged-up Kareem Hunt, who was dealing with a wrist and knee injury. And now Kareem Hunt, with a calf injury, is out for several weeks after this game against the Arizona Cardinals. Jeremiah Wuzukoromoa, their uh, second-round pick, we talked about at linebacker. He is also out multiple weeks for this Browns defense. And Nick Chubb, still questionable going in to this game on Thursday night uh, this week against the Denver Broncos. It's going to an interesting thing here for the Cleveland Browns. They're dealing with a lot of injuries right now. A lot of eyes are on them going into the season, especially on Baker Mayfield, whether or not he can lead this team, whether or not he can get that new contract he's still hoping to get this season. The Browns have been disappointments. Flat out, they have been disappointing this year in terms of what we expected them to be Odell Beckham just has not gotten things going since coming back into the lineup. There's already talk heating back up about Odell Beckham getting traded potentially to a new team and just overall how, you know, this team is not as good as they could be when Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield are in the same lineup. There's no connection between Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield at quarterback. All of this talk coming in for this team throughout the season this year. Overall, the only talk that needs to be said is there a disappointment. Through six weeks of the season, the overreaction for the Cleveland Browns is disappointing. They are disappointing and they need to figure out how to get things back on track. And in terms of what they've got coming up on their schedule, we talked about it. Um, talked about their next game. Big game this week on Thursday. They got to get right against this Denver Broncos team who, you know, at the same time also have to get right themselves. Um, have lost three straight games now. Uh, if you're looking at the Denver Broncos in this head-to-head matchup. So for the uh, Cleveland Browns, it's not going to, it's going to be a big game. It's not going to be an easy win, per se, against this uh, Denver Broncos team who are just as hungry to get a win as they are in this one. Then they travel um, uh, back home um, in, or, excuse me, back home to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then travel to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Two teams right now who are heating up in this AFC North division. It's going to be two critical games, two critical division games for the Cleveland Browns to you know try to figure out how to get a win. And those ones then travel to Foxborough to take on New England. And then eventually uh, week 12 and week 14 uh, with week 13 being their bye week. They got back-to-back games against the Baltimore Ravens. Week 12, bye week, week three, week 14, come back at home against the Baltimore Ravens. Still got the Packers later on the schedule. Uh, Still got the Steelers again, Cincinnati again. Still got all their divisional games coming up. It's a tough road ahead for the Cleveland Browns. They need to make sure they're healthy for it, and they need to make sure how they figure out how to get things right because they've been disappointing through six weeks of the season, and I hate to say it um, as someone who's trying to support them coming in this year, um, coming in with high expectations that people are saying they didn't deserve. 
I've been on the side of this Cleveland Browns team. And I hope they get right and get things figured out going forward with this tough stretch ahead. So now let's talk about the team they're playing on Thursday because there's still some overreaction we got to get to with the Denver Broncos. We talked about it. They're back on earth. They are not as good as we thought they were after three weeks being a 3-0 and team because they've lost the last three. 3-0, and 0-3 after starting out 3-0 and for the Denver Broncos. And it's not just overall the Broncos I think could be the problem. I think Teddy Bridgewater is not the answer for the Denver Broncos at quarterback. But at the same time, I don't think it's Drew Locke either, uh, who's sitting on the bench behind him as their number two. Teddy Bridgewater outright beat him out for the job in the offseason, being the safer option of what this team needed. I don't think either one of them, um, either one of them are the answer, and they got to figure out who that answer is next season because this roster is built to win if they have a quarterback at the helm. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater hasn't had a terrible season, uh, 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns, four picks, and a fumble this year as his stat line. But the problem I have with Teddy Bridgewater is on third down and what he's been doing under pressure. It's really what's been bothering me um, about Teddy Bridgewater. Right now, Teddy Bridgewater is tw- uh, 29.1% of his throws on third down are going for first downs. That ranks 16th out of 17th AFC quarterbacks, and 29.1 is a huge cause for concern on third down of trying to convert and get a first. It's harming the team and him. Like The passing game of the Denver Broncos on third down has been abysmal. They can't move the chains. and They can't keep drives sustainable and moving on um, deep in the games. And it's been happening week after week with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. So I don't, I'm not advocating for a change right now from Teddy Bridgewater to say a Drew Locke. But eventually, when this team looks at it, after all of the clean sweep has been done with this entire team, you know, I'm thinking head coach, I'm thinking assistant coaches. Once all that happens, going into the next year, quarterback has to be a new addition to this team because I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is the answer. I don't think Vic Fangio is the answer. I don't think this coaching staff is the answer. The only thing in place right now is the roster outside of quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And all eyes will be on Teddy Bridgewater um, and this team on Thursday, like I discussed, against the Cleveland Browns. going to be a big game uh, for Teddy Bridgewater and this overall team with a national stage and all eyes on them for the first time this season. Another thing that's a cause for concern with Teddy Bridgewater is the amount of times he's been hit. Especially this past week, we noticed it heavily against the Las Vegas Raiders coming into this game with an interim head coach after John Gruden's resignation um, last Monday. Uh, but Teddy Bridgewater was sacked five times, hit 17 times, and was hit on 30% of his dropbacks in that game. That cannot be the case. I don't know if that's an offensive line problem. I got to go back and watch the tape on this. But still, I don't know if that's Teddy Bridgewater holding onto the ball, but that's what I would assume to be part of the reason. He's getting hit so many times, 30% of his dropbacks in that game against the Raiders, and the Raiders getting that big win um, to get back on track against the Denver Broncos. Something's got to give uh, for this Denver Broncos team. I don't know what it's going to be going forward, but all I know is that right now, Teddy Bridgewater is not the answer at quarterback. Now, there's two more things I need to get to on this overreaction Monday to keep things rolling along here. And the next one has to go back to the Miami Dolphins. And I went heavily on the Miami Dolphins two weeks ago talking about how it's time to go after Deshaun Watson before the trade deadline. I'm a player who's just sitting, rotting, um, at home, cashing in his checks each game uh, each game and each week for the Houston Texans with all the allegations happening around him. Still no clarification on any of those. 
for uh, Deshaun Watson. So he's just, just still not going to play. So the Houston Texans just sitting there uh, for another team to eventually trade for when all this mess gets figured out. And I said that Miami needs to be the team to do so. Uh, but I want to talk more in detail about the Miami Dolphins and what's happening right now and overreact to what their situation is after six weeks of the season. Because right now, the Miami Dolphins are trash. They are absolutely trash. They have, you know, trash in the ocean right now. They got, you know, the just overall have not been doing good. Absolutely trash through six weeks. And you look at it and take a step back and analyze their games. They should be 0-6. The only win they had was off of a red zone fumble against the New York or New England Patriots, excuse me, New England Patriots in week one that gave them that win. And they should have lost that game against the New England Patriots. So should be 0-6 right now, 1-5. Um, but overall, the process has not looked great for the Miami Dolphins. Some of their players that, you know, they have invested heavily in in, off, in the offseason, in free agency, in the draft the last few years, these guys just aren't paying off. Outside of Jalen Waddell, who they drafted this year, who's looked great and looked great this week in London against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tua Tagovailoa, I don't have a problem with at all. Uh, there was the big tank for Tua um, march and tank for Tua, uh, you know, overall petition going around uh, that year when he was coming out of Alabama and even the year before of how the team will tank for Tua. And, and you know, of course, Joe Burrow exploded onto the scene in 2019. was the first overall pick. And the Fins, who I always said from the beginning should tank for Tua, uh, landed him there at number five. But right after him was Justin Herbert. A lot of talk, especially this year, between Tua and Herbert, the fifth and sixth selection back in 2019. But still with this Dolphins team, I don't think it's all on Tua Tagovailoa. And in all, I think that the Dolphins are hurting him. They're hurting his progression. Um, they're hurting with what he can do and the expectations on him. And they're going to hurt him even more by making a trade for Deshaun Watson. Although I do think that is the right move for this franchise going forward. I'm It hates, it pains me and it hurts to say it, uh, but that's still the right move, even though that immensely will hurt their number fifth overall pick from two years ago. Because Tua hasn't done awful um, in, ter in terms of what everyone is saying about him. He's not a bust. In games where he has been clean and in games where he's actually been healthy, Tua's been fine. He's been a great quarterback, even. Um, in terms of what we saw in this loss this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, mind you, have lost 20 straight games going into the uh, week six this week in London, a 9 o'clock early morning kickoff. You might have missed it sleeping in. Um, but still, Tua Tagovailoa came back from his rib injury uh, that he suffered back in week two. Um, in this game, his first game back against the Jaguars. He threw the ball nearly 50 times in this game, went 33 of 47 for 329 yards, two touchdowns and one interception, and did not get sacked, which I think was the big thing for the Dolphins and the big thing for Tua Tagovailoa. He played great in that game, and by no means was that loss on Tua. That loss and sales on the coaching staff and the defense of what happened there late in that game, giving up. Um, the game-winning field goal, giving up all those yards in the final drive. But there are multiple questionable calls in this game um, by the Miami Dolphins in terms of what happened. Uh, but overall this season, the Miami Dolphins have a negative 78-point differential in terms of what they've done scoring offensively versus what they've allowed uh, scoring-wise defensively. This can't happen. 
something has to change for this team. And I don't know if it's Brian Flores, who I honestly last year thought was a great coach winning 10 games. But this year, he's starting to make me kind of question what's happening here. But it's a full-on disaster in Miami right now. They've got to get something figured out. Um, this is not how we expected this once promising rebuild to go for what we thought it was. Um, but I don't think it's Tua's, uh, excuse me, Tua's fault. And I think Tua is the one who's really taking the blunt in this situation um, in terms of this overall issue going on. But something I do want to, you know, track uh, backtrack to uh, with this Jaguars game where I talked about the multiple questionable calls. One of them was from Brian Flores, who when the Jaguars had the ball second and 16 late in the game, um, the clock was running and Brian Flores opted not to call the timeout. In that situation, he let the clock keep running. Miami never got that ball back. Jacksonville went on to kick the field goal and win that game. So right now, it's a tough situation for the Miami Dolphins, who are currently in line to have the second pick in the NFL draft this year, and it's not even their pick. It's a pick they traded over to the Philadelphia Eagles. They don't even have a first-round pick this year, and it still looks like they're behind schedule on their pro- on their um, excuse me process and rebuild of what they're trying to do with this team. But something's got to give. Uh, I thought, you know, Chris Greer, their uh, general manager, I thought two years ago, last year, I thought he was a great general manager. I still think Brian Flores can be a great coach and could be a good, you know, is a good coach for this team and a right fit. But right now, the Fins are trash. And it's time they take a step back and f- try to figure out what the root of the problem is for this team. Because like I said, it's not to attack of Viola. And they're hurting him right now by trying to paint this picture that it's all on Tua. And I'm not standing for it. I think he's played great and showed it again this week that he can play great uh, once he's healthy and once he's clean in the pocket. And I don't think it's time to officially give up on him. Um, And if they do, I hope they regret it when he goes to another team um, potentially next season. So we talked big and heavily uh, the last, you know, four bullet points I've had here. Um, on the AFC side. So let's go back for our final one and talk about the NFC because I think the NFC race is officially over six weeks into the season. Go ahead, round of applause to the NFC Beast champions, the Dallas Cowboys. Because after six weeks of the season, the Dallas Cowboys have a commanding nearly three-game lead on this division at 5-1 and one to start the uh, season. Washington football teams rounding up second at two and four. Um, Sitting there with the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Washington holding the slight advantage, and then the New York poor football Giants at one and five this season. We talked about the Giants last week, uh, but I want to talk about the Dallas Cowboys this week because at five and one to start the season, I think we just go ahead and hand them the trophy. Hand them the crown of the NFC uh, East division. Um, I talked about um, on our, you know, preseason prediction show with Matt Laguza, we had this argument. Dallas Cowboys or Washington football team? Who wins this division and why? And I put a very strong case for the Washington football team, and that's what we eventually came together and agreed on in a narrow victory in this division. Six weeks into the season, it's not even close. The Dallas Cowboys are the winners of this division through six weeks. They're 2-0 and in their division. They're averaging 470 yards per game. Three or excuse me, thirty-four point two points per game, and their defense has played great. They're getting after the football, led by Dan Quinn this year. They're getting turnovers, led heavily by Trayvon Diggs this year, and they're holding teams to less than twenty-five points per game, which is enough 
to win games the way this offense is scoring. Their offense is absolutely incredible this year. We expected that to be the case with Dak Prescott coming back, but we didn't expect it to happen this fast. Dak Prescott right now is completing 73% of his throws and has the fifth most yards in the league at 1,813 passing yards, tied for the third most touchdowns in the league with Matthew Stafford at 16 touchdowns, only four interceptions. And the all, the big thing here, I don't, I think isn't even Dallas, um, Dak Prescott in this passing game. It's what the return of Dak Prescott to this passing game has done for the running game. Because Ezekiel Elliott through uh, six weeks is up to 521 yards and five touchdowns on the ground this year. Tony Pollard's looked great again on the ground uh, this year in the backup role, um, kind of mixing in with Ezekiel Elliott. But Zeke's still that focal point of that running game. And with Dak back in the passing game, forcing off our defenses to play um, on a two-sided battlefront in this one of through the air and through the uh, ground as well is really hard for opposing defenses to match up against, especially when you add in what C.D. Lamb is doing, especially when you add into what Amari Cooper is doing. And I think this offense really has not even reached their uh, ceiling yet this year of what they can do um, more efficiently going forward. But right now, this team looks great offensively and defensively. Defense, they have 11 interceptions right now, seven by one man in Trevon Diggs, who even has two touchdowns defensively on two pick sixes. They have 11 sacks through six weeks, and they're right now holding opposing offenses to only 86 yards rushing per game. It's a great rushing defense, and they're getting after the football and they pass the game as well. Overall, this team is very complete. Honestly, could be up there as a contender in this NFC uh, conference once they get into the playoffs because right now they have a clear line to do so because I think you wrap it up after six weeks and declare the Dallas Cowboys NFC champions. That's all the overreactions we got today on Overreaction Monday. So real quick, let's preview Monday Night Football for those who are checking out this episode um, still on Monday. Monday Night Football this week, we got the Buffalo Bills traveling to take on the Tennessee Titans. Bills are 4-1 and one this season. Josh Allen's playing absolutely incredible. And this defense is doing even better, which is a surprise to most people, including myself, of how good this Bills defense has been throughout the first five weeks. See if that continues tonight against the Tennessee Titans, who I believe will be without A.J. Brown and Julio Jones again uh, this season. Their top two leading wide receivers who are expected to be, excuse me, expected to be their top two leading wide receivers um, in A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. So they will be, I believe, inactive for this game. So expect old Tractor Cito, Derek Henry to rumble yet again. But will it be enough to compete with this explosive offense of Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills? It's going to be an exciting game to watch. We'll see what happens here um, in this one. Um, my prediction is going to be a huge win uh, by the Buffalo Bills. I'm not really sure how close the Titans can make this game being a one-dimensional offense uh, with no passing game without their top two weapons at wide receiver. A lot of Derrick Henry. He's going to get over uh, 100 yards easily in this game with some touchdowns thrown in there as well, no question about it. Um, and I don't think it's going to be enough to keep it close. Um, but that's Monday Night Football. Check it out um, tonight. Hope you guys enjoy it, and thank you for checking out the podcast as well. Um, uh, pay attention on Tuesday for our weekly power rankings, which will be coming out tomorrow, depending on when you're checking out this podcast. But thank you so much for listening. And until next time, we'll see you on Sunday from 11 to 12, um, 11 to noon, 11 a.m. to noon on Sunday, um, when we got our NFL Sunday kickoff show. Uh, but thank you for checking out our Overreaction Monday. And until next time, peace.